The Guardian. Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. Hello, this is the Business Podcast. I'm Tom Clark. If you work in the public sector, then even if you've hung on to your job, you won't have got a pay rise this year in all probability. If you're a youngster without a degree, there's a one in five chance you're relying on the £53.45 and pence a week that Job Seekers Allowance pays out. If, however, you work in the square mile, your salary will have gone up by an average of 12%. And this in a year that's bang in the middle of what's meant to be a meltdown of the financial system. So what's behind this inequality? Is it just the unavoidable logic of the marketplace? Or is it something we can do more than carp about without indulging in class envy? Joining me in the studio to discuss what, if anything, can be done is the head of the High Pay Commission, Deborah Hargreaves, who's reported today, and Jill Trina, who's the Guardian City Editor. So then, Deborah, first of all, you write in your report that if things go on as they are, we'll soon be back with the sort of inequality of Oliver Twist's day. That's right. That's right. If we don't check these trends, we will be back to Victorian levels of inequality. Now, I don't think most people would want that to happen. So what we're saying is that pay has got out of control. We did some polling among the public for our launch today and 79% said they thought pay and bonuses had got out of control and that companies weren't checking it. So we're saying we've we've launched our report and we've got a 12-point action plan to try and rein in this pay and to try and curb company excesses. The bulk of people have probably always thought the rich are getting richer because the rich are richer than the rest of us sort of thing. But you're saying there's no doubt that they really have got a lot richer. Yes, I think in the past 30 years, you've seen the top 0.1% pull away from the rest of society to a huge extent. So you see that executives in 1980 were on 13 times average wages. And now that multiple has gone up to 75, 88, depending on how you work it out. They have gone on to huge multiples. They In that time, they've had pay rises of 4,000%. Now, the executives would would say that those businesses have changed immeasurably during that time. And I don't disagree with that. Running a multinational business today is, is completely different. But during that time, the job of a senior policeman, for example, or a head teacher has changed beyond recognition. And I would suggest that facing the sort of risks that policemen do on our streets in London today is much more stressful than running a big company. And yet their pay has gone up only modestly. So you've got a 12-point plan. Give us, the, give us the highlights, you know, what, what are the principles behind Well, what it? we're saying is that we need to get back to a more simple basis for executive pay. These packages have got um, six to seven different elements in them. They all pay out at different times. Um, they're a mixture of bonus, long-term incentive plan and salary. And we're saying let's get back to a basic salary for executives, something which is easier to um, compare with the rest of the workforce and one performance-related element 
awarded at the discretion of the pay committee. We're saying that should be shares and it should be held for the long term, i.e. longer than five years. Um, We're also saying we want to see the reform of those pay committees with a worker representative sitting on it and the remit being widened. We think there's a bit of a closed shop mentality on the pay committee. And we think that having a worker there would inject a little bit of more common sense thinking into some of those deliberations over pay. And is the idea, just to be clear with this worker who's going to be on this committee potentially, would they have a vote? Are they there just to give advice or are they... Are they part of the committee with the same powers as everyone else? Yes, they would be part of the committee with the same powers. We would like to see them elected from the workforce and we think that would be quite a democratic thing to do. Obviously, they would be a lone voice and it would be a difficult thing at first. But we think that person should get a lot of support and a lot of help and training. There are various bodies that could do that and we would like to think there would be data behind them and there there could be support to help them in that role. Jill, you move with lots of these people um, (laughs) who are on these sort of telephone salaries where you bump into them from time to time. How do you think Deborah's ideas would go down with them? I think the idea of a worker representative on the board tends to be largely unpopular, to be honest. There are some people uh, suggesting that maybe a shareholder on the remuneration committee might be the way to go forward. So there's not a shareholder at the moment? Uh, No, because shareholders at the moment delegate powers to boards. So at the moment, it's the non-executive directors largely and the chairman sometimes who sits on a remuneration committee. And the shareholders delegate all responsibilities to them. If you asked a shareholder, they, they pure and them, simple, though, don't they? The non-executive yeah, directors, yeah. So they're they elected, elect them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're there. That's what I'm saying. They're representing the shareholders in many ways, and they're elected by them. Um, so, so that's one thing. I think this point about simplifying pay is quite an interesting one. If you talk to pay consultants, say a lot of the people who help devise these ridiculously complicated schemes. They would say, actually, that maybe directors would actually welcome simplification because they could possibly even earn more money that way. And what you could do is end up having a bigger basic salary and smaller element of performance-related pay. I think this whole issue is just so fascinating. When you try and calculate what people on boardrooms earn every year when the annual report arrives, you know, it's the job of people like me here at The Guardian and to try and work out exactly what somebody's taken home. It's almost... You, it's a very difficult situation you find yourself in because the way these pay deals are structured is that they don't earn the money in one year. It's like, you know, I get a salary yeah, and that's what I've earned for, you know, 2010, that's it. You know, that's what I get. What these guys, and they're nearly always guys, get is they, they you know, in, in 2010, say, they can have schemes that were put in place three years ago that have decided that, that are vesting now. Then at the same time, they get awards of shares that they will eventually get in three years' time, depending on their performance. So the whole system is just so complicated and intricate that actually even trying to compare the director of one company with the director of another company is not a straightforward business at all. Before I come back to Deborah on this, can I just be clear? You're saying that there are people out there who reckon that if this whole murky business was clarified and we knew that these characters were earning whatever it is, £11 million this year... The full light of day being upon it would make people realise what how how good value for money they were providing, and then they well, don't know more. Or? I don't know about that. The argument that was put to me yesterday by a, a, a pay consultant I was I was interviewing in advance of Deborah's mm. uh, report. The, the, this point put forward by this particular pay consultant was that the reason pay deals have become so complicated is that shareholders over the last 20 years have increasingly demanded that there is more performance-related pay attached to directors' 
pay schemes and that that has pushed the quota. And I think Deborah's report tries to show this as well, has pushed what, say, 20 years ago, 80% of a, of a take-home pay of a director would have been based on the salary. These days, it's more like 20%. I mean, that, I'm, that that's extreme. Oh, so you say mean it would be safer. 30%. So in fact, more... it would be safer, so the director would have more clarity. But at and the moment, actually, these, these performance-related pay elements are actually quite easy to get, so that you find even in a year of recession, 2008, 95% of directors were paid their annual bonus. So you can't say that those directors all earned that annual bonus that year. It's almost being counted as part of their basic salary. Do you see the and CEO of Thomas Cook, which is in great trouble today, uh, earned um, 2.27 million last year? Yes. Um, yes. I mean, well, not surprising. When you look at cable and wireless worldwide, last week, John Plutherow, the chief exec, took home £10 million over three years, and that company fell to a loss of £590 million. So, you know, there is, there's very little discernible link between pay and performance. A lot of these variable pay awards seem to pay out anyway. Um, we're saying let's get back to a basic salary. Some people have said, yes, well, that means that all the salaries would go up and they'd get paid even more. But you you would then have to justify that to your workforce and to your shareholders. You would yeah. have to say, OK, well, I've got rid of my performance-related elements, so my my actual base salary is now going up by 50 100%. How can you justify that during a time of austerity in your workforce, your company and the economy? So I think that would be very difficult for chief execs to pass that through. I see. So, so there's... On the one hand, there's this argument, which is everyone could see what everyone else was getting. And so if you want to poach the CEO of, I don't know, Asda or whatever it is, then it's very clear what you have to offer them. But on the other hand, they've then got to justify it to the workforce and more importantly, the the shareholders. So Well, uh, well and also I think... Um, Shareholders have really tried to link pay to company performance, but it hasn't really worked. There's been very little um, real link between the two. And we would strip out a lot of that complexity and a lot of those performance-related elements and say, let's just get back to basics and try and see um, where we get to then. Vince Cable's got um, John Kay, the economist who writes in the Financial Times at the moment, looking at some of... Th- these issues, hasn't he? The, the way the financing system works. He's also got this um, consultation on executive pay, which finishes on Friday. As so. does John Kay's consultation. Yeah. Oh, I see. They're, those, in they're two parallel consultations. And and uh, how interested are the people running those consultations and Vince Cable himself in what you're up to? Has, has he had you in? Yes, yes, we've been talking to them a lot and, and it's been very fruitful. I think we've had a, a very interesting discussion and he is very keen on doing something about this. I do think it resonates quite well with the public at the moment. You see these um, these Occupy camps and you see a lot of lobbying for more responsible form of capitalism and I think this plays into the whole pay debate. So people are very concerned about it. And Jill... Um how do you think it would actually be done? Presumably you'd have to have company law or something specifying, you know, how pay committees are going to work. Well, I mean, what Cable's currently, his discussion paper on, on remuneration is currently about is looking at precisely that. Do you need to change company law or can some of the changes be put into existing codes of, of practice? I mean, if you speak to shareholders... Um, and people who work with shareholders, they'll say that actually they have quite a lot of power already, but the problem is they don't necessarily exercise it. I mean, the reality is shareholders can vote down remuneration reports at annual general meetings as a result of a change that was made by Labour following the Marconi row at the start of the previous decade. 
And they can also vote directors off boards. I mean, if they really don't like the non-executive directors on the remuneration committee, they can vote them off. The reality is these powers aren't exercised as, as readily as you might think shareholders would want them to because at the end of the day, shareholders tend to want to accept what the directors of companies have, are telling them. So it's quite a difficult situation to find yourself in. You've, you've also got to sort of change the mindset of the investment community. I mean, we've had some great examples of where shareholders have desperately tried to vote against remuneration reports. Glaxo, back in the start of the last decade, it was the first one to kick it off, and there have been others since. And it is very painful and very embarrassing for companies. But somehow, we still get this impression that that shareholders aren't doing enough. But what they're doing now is voting on a pay deal that's already in place. So they can say, oh, we don't like this pay deal, Mm. but it has already been set in place. What we're saying is they should vote on pay arrangements that are coming up for the next three years. So they intervene more, um, they intervene earlier in the process. The criteria rather than the yes Well, companies are increasingly putting these these schemes to the vote. There is a vote taking place um, in, in the next few days on a company where I think they're trying to put in place a new what's called tip long-term incentive plan uh, but you know I don't you know they don't always get voted down or voted away because what tends to happen is you find shareholders think oh well let's see how this works in practice there's an example of a company today for instance whose annual general meetings taking place Smith's Industries in the FTSE 100 where they in their annual report this year admit that they've had to change a pay scheme they only put in place last year because the Association of British Insurers the big uh, investment community in uh, uh, lobby group made it pretty clear as soon as they'd voted it in that they realised it wasn't good and managed to get them to change. So, I mean, that's interesting because the Association of British Insurers presumably stands for lots of different pension funds all at once. So if they could, because the problem's always been coordinating They tend to be life insurance, people who are running life insurance policies and, and that type of thing. On they're the whole, so they're about of the stock market, yeah, they used they? to be. It's probably more like yeah, twenty, but they're they, pretty they, powerful. But, but will they? Because the big question then is, do they speak with one voice? Not always. But I mean, if it, is they that have the recently link put out um, in September, they put out guidelines on executive remuneration, and they have changed what they're saying quite a lot actually in the in recently. So they're saying they think excessive pay awards do undermine trust in companies and um, interfere with the, the the functioning of the economy, and they're saying that shareholders should have a mind to the amount that. That's being paid when they're voting on these deals and should look at a better link with company performance. Yeah, and that's the first time they've put this idea yeah, of... that's the you, first time. Yeah, yeah, you hear them talk about quantum, which mm. is only the, which is only the, the amount, word that people the in amount. cities... Yes, in it's a city, city word, could, which is yeah. horrible. But um, yeah, they say this is the first time they've been concerned about quantum. One of the things that, I'm in, that interests me as well is that one industry where pay regulation has now been introduced quite strongly is in the banking industry since 2008. And there really? has been dramatic changes to the way that they're paid in that the Financial Services Authority has now set out very clear rules about the fact about how bonuses can can be paid to certain levels, about how a third of your bonus can be paid now, two-thirds gets paid in the future. And, and the FSA has also tried to reduce the amount of performance-related pay. If you speak to people who work in the city, on the whole they will tell you that they have had tremendous pay rises as a result of this. Their salaries have gone up. And as their bonuses have gone down, well, as or their bonuses, overall they've managed well, to Well, no, their salaries have gone up. So their take-home pay, their, their, their guaranteed take-home pay has gone up. And it means that for the companies themselves, you can see it now with the bank's results that are coming through. It's much harder for banks now to control their payroll costs in that, uh, in that you can see that they are now having to uh, account for what's known as deferred compensation, compensation coming through that they might have once paid last year, that they're now paying this year. So I just kind of think we also need to think, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that regulating pay is wrong. 
I just think that we could look at the banking industry and see what's happened. You know, for instance, at, at firms like Barclays Capital, the investment banking arm of mm. Barclays, about a year and a half ago, everybody got a massive pay rise. Because yeah, you, you need, yeah. and, and, and Barclays well, was able to blame the FSA. justify this? I really don't know because you, you need to you be aware of perverse consequences in bringing these things in. But I don't know how the banks, in a, in a very difficult economic climate and as a result of some crisis which they've had a big hand in, can then turn around and say, oh, well, actually, we're giving a huge increase in salaries. I think this bonus um, clawback idea is a good idea so that you're paid a bit of your bonus now. And then if your bets turn out to be wrong or if something goes wrong in the bank you you have to either not get your future bonus or it's clawed back I think that would be a good thing to seem spread more widely but how the banks can suddenly turn around and say they're all worthy of a pay increase is beyond me well and like I say they blame the regulation I, I stress here I'm not offering a view about <laughs> no, no. whether the regulation is good or bad but I just say this has been the consequence I mean, of you, this regulation do you, do you agree with Jill that there can be these sort of perverse effects do you think it's an effect of the regulation or do you think it's just something else just that they're as greedy as they ever were well i think yes you do have to be careful that you you don't introduce something that that has the opposite effect for example some people will say that um uh, executive salaries have gone up a lot since we introduced more transparency as part of corporate governance guidelines brought in over the past 20 years so now they can see more what their rivals are earning and they lobby more for a pay rise themselves there are others that would argue that that's not necessarily the case but you do have to be aware that there are you, you have to watch out for these other consequences in the, this the, the one thing I think is it's so hard to understand the culture of companies I think because you know we're talking about the city a lot but what we really are talking about are big companies mm. not just you know some of the most well-known pe- uh, highest paid people work for mining companies you know what I think is difficult to understand is that there is this culture of chief executives and people on boardrooms who just want to earn as much money as possible or just want to make sure they're earning as much as their peers. And how you change that culture, how you put people on remuneration committees who actually say, do you really need to have a pay deal that means you could get £90 million at the end of all this? Which is what happened to Bart Beck, to Rickett Ben Kaiser. You know, do you need that? And that's what you've almost got to do, is you've, almost, you've got to somehow completely change the people that sit on remuneration committees and have them shouting a different message to the one that currently is. And of course, yeah. But the- when we interviewed chief execs for our report, actually, you would, yeah. um, they would say, "Well, the money's important, but there are lots of other things that motivate us. You know, we want to leave a legacy. We want to bring good people on. We want yes. to do the best for the company. So they're human, like everyone else. They have other motivations and other goals. And so." While you've got to get the pay right, often it's not an overriding motivational factor. And some of them, some of the more reflective ones will say, well, the system's not sustainable. It's almost like we've got trapped in this system where pay ratchets up and up and no one seems to know how to stop it. But isn't it, it's almost like if you're caught in this game where the, where the rules are, um, you know, that, that you're doing well if you get paid more. Like Jill says, don't you need to change the cultures? Like if someone's losing at chess saying, oh, don't worry, I'll roll the dice for you. And that would, but that's not part of the rules of the game. And so... Yeah. But we may be asking too much of them as well. I mean, this cult of the superstar chief exec, someone who's brought in on a massive pay package and is required single-handedly to turn the company around. You look at what's happened to the guy at Lloyd's who was brought in from Portugal, from Santander. Mm, sick to, leave. Now, and he's it? on sick leave because he's off with stress. Well, maybe it's all too much for one person maybe we just are asking too much of them um and can i just i mean jill rightly there's just chided me for 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 focusing too much on the city because of course it's companies 
much more widely. But can I just ask you as well, because your um, subtitle was something like, you know, high pay and why it matters for society. But is it just people who run um, company? How far, how far do you go? Are you looking at... Um, uh, pop stars or um, sports people or well I think it's quite interesting to understand why as a society we decide to reward people in this way at the moment we've spent a year looking mostly at chief execs mm. because that's where the data is it's been easier to look at that area we want to branch out we've got a little bit more time and a bit more funding so we will keep going for the next couple of years and we do want to look at other areas like footballers and pop stars and and to see how that's worked out i mean pay for results in football is is a bit more easy (laughs) to support um but then all the clubs have been in dire financial difficulties so i mean you know it's a kind of interesting phenomenon and we would like to look at that more but presumably the kind of the arguments about you know back to all of the tryst and maybe this matters for society at a time when typical pay is stagnating that does apply much more widely than, than, than just to, to chief executives. And does it also apply? Because we keep saying, yeah, shouldn't the shareholders get themselves in order? But of course, the people who own the most shares are rich people. Um, if, we, if we drove all this through and, um, okay, some grannies may have a few shares here and there and some of us might have a few shares in our guardian pension plans or whatever, but the people who have the really big concentrations of shares are rich people and aren't we just going to be helping... I don't know, Rich Peter, Rob, Rich Paul. (laughs) Well, um, I think the issue is among the shareholding community is that investment managers who who manage these funds on behalf of pension funds, they are paid a lot as well. And these are people who are deliberating on pay and who do have the vote on pay. So they do tend to come from within a similar community. And I think um, that is part of the problem here. There is a sort of a, a feeling that they are a, are a little bit challenged on this. So I think, yeah, and that's why it would be good to get some employee representation on this remuneration committee. It's a different point of view, a bit more common sense from the shop floor. Well, you can read the full report on the High Pay Commission's website and there's plenty more on the dodgy dealings of the city at guardian.co.uk forward slash business. But that's all from us for this week. My thanks to Deborah Hargraves and to Jill Trainer. The producer was Phil Maynard. I'm Tom Clark, and thanks very much for listening. Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.